Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Let me start by asking you a question. Is there anything that you really want from God right now? Is there a particular way that you'd like for him to bless you? If so, if you can think of something, how badly do you want it? Are you willing to wrestle him for it? This might sound like quite a strange question for a preacher to ask for a whole number of reasons. Reason one, God is good, faithful, generous, a kind, loving father. He's also mighty, powerful, sovereign over everything. And he's already given us so much more than we deserve by sending Jesus to die for us. The idea of wrestling with him to get more blessings doesn't necessarily sit too well. You might be thinking something like, isn't it better to rest in him rather than wrestle him? Isn't it better to be satisfied with what God has given me, to calmly trust him to work out the details of my life? Well, you might be surprised to hear that there's actually a biblical basis for both of those. Yes, God calls us to calmly trust him with the details of our lives, to trust that he is working all things for our good, to cast our cares upon him, to let his peace wash over us. But God also calls us to bother him, to pester him with our requests through prayer, to plead with him, petition him, persevere, to keep praying until he answers, to wrestle with him. This week in the story of Jacob that we've been going through, we're in Genesis chapter 32, where we find Jacob for the second time in a place of great fear, anxiety and uncertainty. Perhaps you remember that Jacob in his early life tricked his elder twin brother Esau out of both his birthright and his blessing. As a result, Esau vowed to kill Jacob and Jacob was forced to flee. And as Jacob was fleeing from his brother in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, and in the middle of Jacob's self-inflicted mess, God powerfully met with him. Through a dream in Genesis 28, God showed Jacob a vision of heaven opening with a staircase reaching from heaven to earth. God stood at the top of this staircase proclaiming the promises of Abraham over Jacob. I will give you many descendants. I will give you the land you're lying on. I will be with you always, said God to Jacob. Now in Genesis 32, where we find ourselves today, 20 years have gone by. Jacob has acquired several wives in this time, even more children and even more sheep and goats. It's time for him to leave the home of his manipulative uncle Laban, who's messed Jacob about for all of these years. And it's time for him to head back to his parents. Jacob packs up his family and his flocks and begins the journey home. But in order to get home, he has to travel through, you guessed it, Esau's country. He has to face the brother whose last words to him were something along the lines of, you're dead. Jacob divides his flocks and his family in half, hoping that whichever group Esau doesn't attack will survive. 
And he sends a peace offering ahead of him, hoping to beg for Esau's mercy. A messenger comes back to Jacob saying, Esau is on his way to meet you. And he's bringing 400 men with him. Terrified and knowing that his family is no match for Esau, Jacob falls to his knees in prayer. And he says this, this is Genesis 32 verses 9 to 12. Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. In his distress, Jacob remembers the promises of God. He knows that if his family gets killed, God's promises to bless him with many descendants won't be fulfilled. So he cries out to God for help. And God responds, God answers, but not quite in the way Jacob expects. Our passage today is Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. In this story, Jacob lays down in the hope of getting some much needed rest, but instead he ends up wrestling all night with God. Then at the end of their wrestling match, God breaks Jacob, permanently injuring his hip. But Jacob won't let go. He won't stop wrestling with God until God blesses him. And through this passage, God invites us in prayer to wrestle with him as well. Well, the first part of the passage I want to dwell on for just a moment is where Jacob is broken by God. Picture the scene as he lays down to sleep. Jacob, out of the corner of his eye, glimpses a shadowy figure crossing the ford of the Jabbok River, which is in modern day Jordan, approaching him in what can only be described as a threatening manner. Who is it? He thinks to himself. Is it, is it Esau? No, no. Jacob would recognise Esau's walk. The man approaches Jacob. Jacob tells him to identify himself, but there's no response. The man crouches in a wrestling pose. 
Jacob, familiar with the form of wrestling that all Hebrew men would have been, mirrors his pose and the two begin to circle one another. Suddenly the stranger pounces, evenly matched, the two wrestle until the first rays of sun creep over the hills. I wonder at what point in this encounter Jacob realised that he wasn't wrestling with any mere mortal. He was wrestling with God. Maybe it was when the man wouldn't identify himself. Maybe it's when Jacob felt a familiar sense of fear and awe creeping over him, which he hadn't felt since Genesis 28, at the place he went on to call Bethel, the house of God. Or maybe it's when the stranger pulls a trick out of the bag and he touches Jacob on the hip and immediately dislocates it. Jacob screams in agony, knowing he's been permanently wounded. It's profoundly strange, isn't it, that God decides to meet Jacob in this manner. Jacob is terrified, about to face his brother and pay for the crimes of his past. Yet instead of reassuring him with those promises from Genesis 28, God wrestles with Jacob and cripples him. Why would God do this? Jacob is so low and broken already. Why would God break him even more? Well, our Jacob has come a long way from the deceitful trickster who swindled his brother out of his blessing. He's seen over the last 20 years that when he tries to solve problems on his own, he fails miserably every time. But still, Jacob's tendency is to try and fix the problem himself, asking God for help later. He's shown this beautifully in this situation by sending peace offerings off to his brother Esau, trying to, uh, trying to pacify him by offering him all this stuff. In injuring him, though, God redresses that balance. He chips away at the last thing on which Jacob can rely, his body. Jacob now has no choice but to fully trust in God to deliver him from Esau and his 400 soldiers. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 speaks of a personal situation which is remarkably similar to Jacob's. Paul has been afflicted with a thorn in the flesh, to use his language. Some kind of illness or injury, and you can try, but you won't be able to work out what exactly it was. Three times I asked God to remove it, Paul says. But God's response was this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The great preacher and evangelist Billy Graham once described a time when he was preaching several times per day and found himself afflicted, a bit like Paul, with a horrible illness which was attacking his system, making him weaker and weaker. He spoke about how this was when he found Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 12 to be true for himself. The weaker he became, Billy Graham said, the more powerful became the preaching. He truly learned that God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we wrestle with God, when we repeatedly ask him for what we want, we pester him, we petition him for his blessing, sometimes he allows us to become broken in the process because it's in that brokenness where he leads us to trust him. Do you feel broken or bruised? Have you been wrestling with God over something for a really long time and you're still hurting? God's power is made perfect in weakness. If you're weak, you are in the best possible position for him to meet you and use you. The next day, Jacob limps towards Esau with a broken body, 
but a strength in faith. The second point of the story I'd like to dwell on for a moment is when Jacob grabs a hold of God and doesn't let go. Back to the wrestling match, spurred on by the searing pain of his dislocated hip, Jacob pounces on the stranger in a last ditch effort and manages to pin him down. The stranger says, let me go, but Jacob refuses saying, not until you bless me. Jacob knows what's going on now. He knows this is God he's wrestling with. So he grabs this opportunity to receive a blessing. This might sound strange to you. It might even sound disrespectful, sinful even. How dare Jacob talk to God in this way? How dare he treat God like a genie who grants three wishes? But God isn't a genie. We have to remember a couple of things. The first one is that God initiated this contact. This is God's response to Jacob's prayer for deliverance from Esau. God intends to bless Jacob, hence he's orchestrated this opportunity. God initiates the wrestling match. God wounds Jacob, then allows the wounded Jacob to overpower him. And then God allows Jacob to hold him to the promises he has made. You see, Jacob doesn't demand anything from God which God hasn't already promised to him. God has promised Jacob many descendants, so it is right that Jacob would pray that God would protect him and his family. God creates the opportunity for blessing and Jacob grabs it and refuses to let go until the blessing comes. If you're a Christian, have you ever felt like you really want something from God, but you're not sure whether to ask or how to ask? The story of Jacob teaches us that it's good to wrestle with God. If there's something we desperately want, something we believe God might bless us with, something which is in line with his promises over us as they appear in scripture, well then it is right to wrestle with him over those things. It is right to pray again and again and again until we get a response from him. Do you desperately want to see a family member or a loved one come to faith? Take it to God in prayer. Grab hold of him and don't let him go until he answers. Do you desperately want to see churches planted all over your hometown or home country? Grab hold of God and don't let him go. Do you desperately want to find a partner and have a family? Grab hold of God and don't let him go until he blesses you. Do you want to be healed? Grab hold of God and don't let go. In Luke 11 verses 5 to 10, Jesus tells a parable of a man who knocks on his friend's house at midnight asking him for a loaf of bread. Now we've all been hungry in the middle of the night, but understandably the friend tells him to get lost. But the hungry man persists, he keeps knocking, and eventually the friend gives the man all he needs because of his persistence. So Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Is there something you desperately want from God? Because I can't tell you whether or not he'll give you exactly what it is you want. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His plans are greater than our plans. And sometimes his answer is no. But I would challenge you with this question. 
Have you even asked him? And if so, have you asked him again and again? Jacob initially prayed for deliverance from Esau. And when God provided the opportunity for his prayer to be answered and more, well, Jacob had the faith to wrestle for it. The third point of the passage I want to dwell on for a moment is when God blesses Jacob. You see, God honours the faith that Jacob has shown him. God is pleased with the way Jacob acts in this passage and he blesses him there and then. Genesis 32, 28, has God saying to Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Israel is a name meaning one who wrestles with God. You may not think that a new name sounds like much of a blessing, but for Jacob, this was an opportunity to step away from his former life and step into the purpose God had for him. I wonder if you know the meaning of your own name and whether, if you do, you've ever felt that you are able to fully live up to what your name means. My name's Andrew, which is from the Greek word Andreas, which means man or uh, has connotations meaning kind of manly or strong. I'm not really sure I'm allowed to be the judge of how well I live up to my name. But the name Jacob was given at birth to Jacob and it would prove to be hugely influential on his life. You see, Jacob means heel grabber because he was born clutching the heel of his twin brother Esau. But that phrase heel grabber had connotations of trickery and deception, qualities which Jacob, like many other members of his family, became proficient in. In giving him this brand new name, Israel, God is giving Jacob a chance to be redeemed from his past. No longer will he be known as Jacob the heel grabber who earned his blessing by deception. No, he is Israel who achieved his blessing by wrestling with God and prevailing through faith. In the Bible, names and particularly new names are of infinite significance. God makes a habit actually of giving people a new name which relates to his purpose for them. Jacob's grandfather Abraham was formerly called Abram and the minor alteration to that name meant that Abraham meant father of many, which was in line with what God had planned for him. Abraham's wife Sarai was renamed Sarah. It's not entirely clear what this new name signified, but when God gives her this new name, he tells her she will be the mother of nations and kings. In the New Testament, Jesus picks up this habit from his father by giving new names to some of his disciples. Levi, the tax collector, was renamed Matthew when Jesus called him to follow him. Matthew, a name meaning gift from God. Like Jacob, Levi had a chance to leave behind his old thieving, deceitful tax collector self and step into the name God had given him. Simon is given the name Peter, which means rock, because Jesus was going to use him to found the first New Testament church in Jerusalem. I don't know how you feel about your current name, whether you feel it really sums up who you are. But the book of Revelation even says that for anyone who perseveres in faith until the end of their life, God will give, this is Revelation 2.17, a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This promise of God to everyone who believes 
in Jesus. Looks back on all the times when God gave somebody a new name that was related to his purpose for them. And it looks forward to the day when he gives us the names he always knew us by as we fulfill our purpose as his people entering his kingdom to worship him for eternity. So is it okay for us to wrestle with God in prayer like Jacob wrestles with him in person here in Genesis 32? Yes, God invites us to wrestle with him in our fear, our anxiety, our unbelief, our distrust, our pain and yes, over the deepest desires of our hearts. By initiating the wrestling match with Jacob, God created the opportunity for a blessing to come about. And in the parables of Jesus, where he tells us to come to God again and again in prayer, Jesus taught that God has done the same for us. Through Jesus, our Redeemer, who pleads on our behalf with the Father, our requests are heard by God. And because Jesus has exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness, God looks upon us with the same favour with which he looks upon his only son. He longs to bless us. He has given us opportunities to be blessed. He calls us to ask, to persevere, to wrestle with him, to grab hold of him and not let go until he blesses us. But let me finish by offering two words of warning. There is a fine line between the healthy spiritual discipline of wrestling with God in prayer and other sinful, damaging attitudes. The first thing I want to quickly say is that we mustn't let wrestling become rebellion. When we petition God, like Jacob does, to bless us, well, we must never expect him to always meet our agenda or our timeline or our way of doing things. Because Jacob holds God to the promises that God has already made. But even then, God doesn't respond exactly as Jacob expects. God's ways are not our ways. But he is a loving father who loves to bless us and tells us to ask and ask again. When Jesus was on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded with God to remove the suffering which was about to face him. Not just the nails and the wooden cross and the crown of thorns, but the total abandonment by his father as Jesus became sin for us, taking our punishment so that we could enter God's kingdom. But Jesus ended this encounter by saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. To trust God is to wrestle with him, but to be prepared at the end of the day to say your will be done. We must never allow our wrestling to become rebellion. But on the flip side, we must never let rest become resignation. It is good, as I mentioned at the beginning, it is good and biblical to calmly trust God with the details of our lives. To be thankful for the blessings he has already given us. Jesus tells us to do this. But be honest, have you ever prayed for something a few times and then given up? When God doesn't answer in the way we want or as quickly as we want, the temptation will always be to give up. But there is a difference between resting in him and resigning ourselves to him. God is the ultimate father. He wants to bless us and give us good things. So he tells us to ask. Wrestling isn't an off and on sport. 
It requires constant contact and engagement. The story of Jacob shows us that God would prefer that we wrestle with him than resign ourselves to him. 